these behavioral traits seem to be sort of the, the core to building a continuous improvement culture. First one is willingness. And I'm talking about leaders now. And the, the, the idea of willingness is, is a leader willing to change. And so a lot of us can say, yeah, absolutely, I'm willing to change. But then if I went <clears throat> to visit you, what would I see? What would be the evidence of your willingness to change? And the reality is there isn't a lot of evidence usually. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Jana Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. For the next two episodes, I have the pleasure of speaking with two experts in the work of continuous improvement, Dr. John Toussaint and Dr. Christina Dixon. John is the CEO of Catalyst Inc. and one of the foremost figures in the adoption of lean principles in healthcare. Under his leadership, Catalyst has launched several peer-to-peer learning networks, developed in-depth workshops, created international conferences focused on lean management practices, and advanced the idea of healthcare value through delivery reform transparency, and payment reform. John is the author of several groundbreaking books, including his latest, Becoming the Change. Christina is an advisor, consultant, and coach partnering with educational leaders to transform their organization through continuous improvement. Christina is currently collaborating with the Improvement Collective West End and the University of Pittsburgh and others, as well as the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching, where she recently served as an associate for networked improvement science. In today's interview, we'll get to the core of improvement science, lean thinking, and how principles drive our decisions. I'm so excited to have John and Christina join us today. You are hearing from some of the best experts in continuous improvement and improvement science. Welcome, John and Christina. I'm so appreciative of you spending time with us on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, John, let's start with you. It's the first question. You've had a long career in improving organizations. Take a few minutes, if you would, and define what improvement means to you and and the core of what it means to be a a lean thinker. Well, I think if we think about this from the perspective of a set of principles, I think it helps us uh, to answer uh, this question. So, what Improvement means to me is that it, it that it's sort of the ultimate respect for people, uh, which is a principle that leaders can show when they actually have the people that are doing the work, the value creating work, identify and solve the problems. And the more we can engage the folks that actually are doing the real work, uh, the real work of teaching, the real work of, of managing a classroom, the real work of, of understanding the, the, the processes of, of our children's learning, the better chance we have of actually making uh, things happen. So, so I look at improvement uh, as, as a way of life. And it starts with the leader identifying the principle uh, or principles that they're going to actually manage uh, the organization uh, with. And to me, the ultimate principle is respect for people and respect for their ideas. So what I'm interested in uh, is to unleash the creativity of the people that do the work. And by, by the way I act, that's how that's going to happen. And when we unleash that creativity, 
then we have the people that really know the processes and the work the best improving it. And I think that ultimately that's what it means to be a lean thinker is that your job is to develop people. And by developing people, what we mean is we're developing people to be problem solvers. And then we are leading with humility to actually help them be effective in changing our processes and improving the work or improving the process so that we can end up with a better result, you know, a a better educated student. Yeah. And John, I'm just curious, you know, I I think about going through my lifetime of decades uh, in a professional life and and many of those as a leader, and I've come to value people more (laughs) in my later years than I probably did at the beginning. I'm just curious, you know, did that, is that growth for you over time or, you know, has that just kind of been an eight within you as, as a a professional? Well, yeah, I guess it, the question is, what do you mean by value people? I, I, I think what, what we're talking about with the methodology that, that I have been uh, associated with for now 20 years is it's a social technical system. So if we think about improvement systems, uh, this one in particular, what I call organizational excellence, some people call it lean, some people call it other things. But what, what I think of it as is a, is a social and a technical system. So The social components of this work, which are things like respect for people, leading with humility, those types of principles are every bit as important as the actual tools of the the improvement work. If you don't have both of them working together, then it doesn't work. So we really do have to engage our workers and, uh, and leaders have to be engaged on the personal side of this journey. And there are very specific behaviors that can either shut a team down or can unleash creativity in a team. And it's those behaviors that, you know, if we look at it from the social side of things, are the critical components to being successful. And that really starts with the leadership. Are they committed to making some of the changes in their own behavior that, that, that are going to be necessary in order to unleash this creativity. So, so I do think there's a balance here between sort of the, the social, the people, the, you know, the, the human side of things and the technical side of things. And we need to have both. Yeah. Thank you, John. So Christina, you've also had a long career in improvement. Define the core of what you mean by improvement. And, and, you know, in particular, I know you've done work in improvement science. So I'd love to hear from you. Sure. Well, I think John's done a really nice job of summarizing what improvement means, especially from the perspective of a leader, which I think in my journey, my own journey, I've come to some similar understandings that it's been a slow and long journey. Um, And I think um, maybe starting just to trace the evolution of my understanding, I think I started with an understanding that improvement is solving problems and that problems are the gap between where we are and where we want to be. So improvement is about closing the gap between the current state and ideal or getting measurably closer to your goal. And I I think that in there, the shared part of it is really important when you're talking about um, organizations and uh, working together to move from where you are to where you want to be. Now around the improvement science piece, I think that's language that's become more familiar in the field of education because we've borrowed it from healthcare. And I think that 
the language comes originally from thinking about the science of improvement and the all of the kind of quality improvement work that has its roots in the work of W. Edwards Deming. And that term um, has been popularized through the work of the Institute for healthcare improvement, and they refer to improvement science as a way to generate knowledge about what changes in what contexts um, produce improvement. And so then in the last decade, um, there has been interest in the healthcare approach in education. And um, in particular, uh, Tony Bright and his colleagues at the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching have studied with the folks at the IHI. And in 2015, they, they published Learning to Improve. And that described six principles impro of improvement that um, they hoped could guide improvement efforts in our field in education. And I think one of the things you'll notice about their principles is that there five of them are things that you would see in other um, kinds of ex explanations of improvement, like see the system, for example, but they explicitly added the principle of accelerating improvement through working in networked improvement communities, because they wanted to make sure that we're leveraging the learning of many people in solving problems of practice. And I think that's all really important background, but I want to circle back to what John was saying, because I think it's really important to remember that improvement takes place within teams and within organizations and with people. And if we actually think about the roots with Deming, he was teaching a theory of management um, because he was really concerned with leaders creating the conditions for quality work to be able to occur. And so I, in that context, I really think about improvement being the pursuit of organizational excellence and that at its core, it's about building that organizational capacity to accelerate individual and collective learning so that together we can get better at getting better every day. Yeah, thank you, Christina. And looking at the communities of learners, I really transferred that into higher ed institutions. I work, you know, my partners are mainly connected to higher ed, and that's really resonating with them because it is a learning community and their ability to use the improvement work within those communities and, and um, engage with leaders engaging with faculty and staff and really trying to solve problems together is energizing for them. And it makes sense. So, you know, just appreciate that contribution, the contributions that, that Carnegie has made and that, you know, you've made in the field there as well. So thank you for that. John, you've moved organizational performance in multiple systems. Your latest book references that most systems struggle with improvements, you know, being isolated, hard to sustain, and continued leadership involvement. What are you learning about leaders and organizations that are able to build the conditions to really improve? You know, I think it's not, it's something that I've learned over the years, uh, continue to learn what are the important aspects of sustainability. And um, I think as we outlined in our, in our recent book, a lot of it comes back to the, the modeling that the, that the senior leaders do from a behavioral standpoint. What are the things that that you want people to be doing. And we've kind of boiled this down to five core elements and what I call behavioral traits and then observable behaviors that sort of stand behind those, those traits. And this is after studying hundreds of organizations throughout the world. Uh, this is not specific to the United States or any other country. These behavioral traits seem to be sort of the, the core uh, to building a continuous improvement culture. First one is willingness. And I'm talking about leaders now 
And the, the, the idea of willingness is, is a leader willing to change. And so a lot of us can say, yeah, absolutely, I'm willing to change. But then if I went <clears throat> to visit you, what would I see? What would be the evidence of your willingness to change? And the reality is there isn't a lot of evidence usually. In other words, have you identified a way that you're going to self-reflect? Because self-reflection is the most important component here. So do you have a diary? Do you have this scheduled in your work every week that you're actually going to stop and ask a question? You know, what did I do this week that uh, unleashed the creativity of my team? What did I do this week that shut my team down? We're our own best and worst critics. We need to have some kind of self-reflection mechanism. The second behavioral trait is, is humility. So if I came to observe you, what would I see if you were leading humbly? And that would be, I would see you at the gimbo where the value is created. I'd see you in the classroom. I'd see you in, in, on the playground. I'd see you doing certain things in which you would be asking very good questions to the people on the ground, not telling them what to do, but going to observe what's actually going on. The third key trait is curiosity. So if if I were to observe this trait, I would I would go and I would see if you're asking open-ended questions to your team members. Are you going to uh, the various places and, and doing that? Are you empathetically listening? Are you actually listening carefully to what people are telling you? Or are you simply waiting to talk, waiting to give them the solution? And then are you doing what we call A3 thinking, which is basically, you know, what Christina is talking about, basic back to the Schuert cycle of plan, do, study, act, or plan, do, check, act. Are you actually using that type of thinking rather than jumping to solutions? The fourth component is perseverance. So this is hard work to change yourself. Do you have a coach? Do you have a buddy? Do you have somebody you can trust that allows you to give you feedback about your behaviors as you interact with people? And the fifth one is self-discipline. And that is, do you have any standard work in your day or is it all just chaos? So if you actually, do you have standards for your calendar? Do you have standards for what you're going to do each day as you help to build this environment, this cultural environment? What we found is these five traits seem to be the most important, certainly not the only important traits of being a good leader, but the most important for building a, a culture of continuous improvement. And that's how we sustain the performance over time. Once we create those behavioral activity, that's how we sustain uh, the culture. Uh, excellent. So, John, just staying with this a little bit, you know, and thinking about decisions that, that we make, you know, why is it important to have the principles drive our decisions? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what are the consequences, you know, or, of not using those principles to problem solve? Well, let me give you an example. Uh, there's a large health system in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, it's called UMass Memorial and um, big academic medical center. The CEO there, Eric Dixon, has built a set of principles for that organization that they live by. So when COVID struck and a lot of people that were in the you know organization were not working, right? Because if we were doing outpatient surgery and some of these other things, they weren't they weren't working. So what he and went back to his board with, they said, well, we could just let those people go for a loan, save millions of dollars. But the fact that we actually have an organization that's focused on principles and our number one principle is respect for, for people, the last thing we can do is furlough them or let them go or anything else. So, you know, he took that to the to his board. And of course, you know, it was a it was a $10 million decision, but it was a decision that's had huge impacts on on thousands of people. And it's what we mean by uh, a principle based leadership model. If you have a principle like that, 
then when you go back to make a tough decision, you make it based on that principle. You don't make it based on our finances or something else. And, uh, and I think that's, that's a great example of this principle-based leadership and thinking. And there are lots of other examples uh, in healthcare. But, but I do think, you know, if we have a management philosophy that's based on principles, then when we get into crises, we get into tough decisions, we always go back to those principles to help us make that decision. Yeah. That's great. So Christina, just kind of taking off from that a little bit and looking at really the current circumstances that we're all living in right now, you know, how can leaders approach a mindset of welcoming uncertainty when the risks are high? I mean, especially with where we are right now in our world. Right. Well, I just so appreciate all the challenges that uh, all of our leaders out there are facing every day. And this is really hard work. I think one important thing to remember is that when we're talking about welcoming uncertainty, we're not talking about exposing yourself to new avoidable risks. What we're doing is talking about accepting and acknowledging what already is. We work within highly complex organizations and we can't know everything about every aspect of the work or how to do it perfectly. And that's okay. And that's why we need everybody's engagement, experience, and knowledge in the improvement work that we're doing. Another thing that already is true is that if the path to realizing our vision for our organization and serving the needs of our students were exactly clear, we would have done it already. If we knew how to get every student to be successful in the learning um, and and to be well in their, you know, their whole being every day at school, we would do it already. But improvement is a journey. And um, I love Steve Spear is one of my favorite improvement authors. And he talks about how we have to invent our way to excellence. We can't plan it. Nobody knows enough to do that, but we can invent our way there. And so I think just acknowledging what is, is a starting place for welcoming uncertainty. And then I would encourage leaders to ground themselves in the strong foundation that's important for um, any organization to pursue ambitious goals. So getting clarity about the important things is really important. What's your vision? What are the values and principles that you're going to make sure you stick to in good times and bad, um, like John was referring to? What are the associated behaviors that we all agree to? What are our key measures? Because those become your North Star that continually guide your efforts, even when times are tough. And then I would just echo what John was saying about focusing on modeling those really important leader behaviors that he described. Um, Doing that and developing and supporting every person in your organization to see and solve problems every day is where um, you're going to develop the organizational capacity to realize your vision. And you may not know exactly how you're going to get there, but doing those foundational things will get you well on your way. And then you know when you're making tough decisions that you're making them toward values and principles that you've already embraced. I think that's the, you know, kind of the thread that's run through the conversation today is, you know, really building, really understanding 
who you are as a leader, what the values are within the organization, making sure those decisions connect back to that. And, and I mean, that's just the common way that we do practice, that we practice every day. And when they, when we reach those times of uncertainty, you know, it's just kind of a habit of practice of the way we do our work. Um, and then we are able to build the agility in that process. So just appreciate, appreciate the thought that you all have put into to this today. We appreciate your background knowledge and your contributions to the field. And I look forward to our next episode and the next conversation. Thank you, John and Christina for today. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. I so appreciate the conversation with John and Christina, and we're going to hear more next week. On our next episode, John and Christina will be back to share more about their experience working with education organizations to begin to use continuous improvement to eliminate gaps in student achievement, as well as their recommendations for leaders who are struggling to prioritize improvement as the real work to be done. To learn more about our free upcoming virtual events that are right around the corner, our DHP in March, and our roundtables are occurring every week, please connect to studereducation.com slash events. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you tune in to our podcast each and every week. Uh, we're doing two a week and love to, to make the connections with our listeners and would love to hear from you. So please make a connection to me at any time to tell me a little bit more about what's on your mind. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week. Look forward to connecting with John and Christina again.